such a joy to be together this evening to worship the God of heaven and glorify his name. Really good to see all who've come out to do that. Thank you for being here. If you're visiting, we have several visitors. Thanks for being with us tonight. Tonight we're going to uh, explore something that I think will be uh, interesting to us and hopefully very helpful to us as we think about who we are before God, uh, what makes us up as people, and what it is that will be preserved, according to the Scriptures, eternally uh, because it's been purified and sanctified by God. What is, what is man made of? What are you and I made up of? We can look at our, our bodies. It's pretty easy to figure out that we've got physical bodies. But most of us understand that there's more to a human being than his body. What is it that comprises the human being? In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, we have what is the text for our lesson tonight. The Apostle Paul, in concluding his epistle to the Thessalonians, says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for the entire sanctification of the individuals in the church at Corinth. And he describes them as being beings with three parts that compose them. Spirit, soul, and body. And all three of those aspects of these Christians were sanctified. Sanctified, that is to say, purified and set apart for the God of heaven who would preserve them eternally. And then in the next verse, he says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God will preserve. When we think about the life beyond this life and the eternity that we're hoping to enjoy with our God and Father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the heavenly hosts uh, for eternity, when we think about all of that, what, 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 what is it that is going to be us then? Well, if I'm understanding what Paul is saying here, what is going to be us then is a whole lot like what is us now. Yes, there will be some transformation, some changes in the body particularly that we're aware of. But what about the soul that he mentions? What about the spirit that he mentions? Which certainly are, are part of us as well. And what are those parts of us anyway? So when he talks about these three composite parts of human beings being sanctified and then being preserved and then God faithfully preserving us for eternity. What does that mean to us as individuals? That's what I'd like to explore with you tonight. When you, when you go through the scriptures and just think about human beings generally, uh, sometimes the scriptures seem to present uh, us as dual beings. We have uh, a soul and a spirit or we have a body and a soul or a body and a spirit. But here's the one passage that has all of those three parts of the human being together in one. Of the three parts, as I've already said, it's easiest to understand the body. It's what we see in the mirror every day, right? <laughs> we, can, we can touch it. We can pinch it. And uh, we're all the time uh, taking care of its needs. So we're very aware of what the body is. The two other words that are mentioned here that describe human beings, soul and spirit, are harder to grasp. Uh, 
partly because, in some sense, neither one of them is entirely visible. They're invisible parts of us. We'll we'll look at that in more detail in, in a little bit. And also because the words soul and spirit sometimes seem to be used interchangeably, but also sometimes in Scripture seem to be used to define different parts of the human being. So what, what is that about? Is the soul the same as the spirit? If it is the same as the spirit, is it the same as the spirit all the time? Paul seems to be talking about two different aspects of a human being in this text when he talks about body, soul, and spirit. So I know this lesson's uh, maybe a little bit deeper than you want to think about uh, at you know, 5.30 in the afternoon on a Sunday, uh, but I think it will help us. I think it will help us understand who we are and, again, what it is that we're hoping for eternally and what it is, mainly, more than anything, what it is that we're supposed to be doing, not just with our bodies, but with our souls and our spirits and what God is intending to do with our bodies, souls, and spirits. One of the things I learned a long time ago when when you start studying words is that a single word can have a lot of different meanings. And I often use the word post to illustrate this. Post, if you look it up in the dictionary, has uh, most dictionaries over a dozen definitions. I, I read one dictionary had o- over 17 definitions of the word post. So just to give you a sampling of some of those, uh, a post can refer to like a fence post, right? Or it can be something that you put on Facebook. You posted it on Facebook. Well, that's different from a fence post for sure. Uh, It could be what you do when you mail a letter. You post it. Or maybe it's an accounting maneuver. Or maybe it's a a route that a receiver runs. uh, If you played football, you know the post route, right? Uh, That's down and in toward the post. So that's something else, the post route. And and then uh, maybe it's an army base, right? You've heard, I, I grew up half my life on an army base, right? The post, that's what it was called. So those definitions and a lot of other definitions of the word post. Now, while the the word post means all of that, and sometimes you could, you know, use the word here or there, depending on your context, and you have synonyms for the word post. For instance, I mentioned that the word pole is a post, right? If you say, well, that's a post, and somebody says, well, that's a pole, well, you're talking about the same thing, right? A post is a pole, is a pole is a post. But nobody talks about going to the poll office to mail a letter. Well, why is that? Well, that's a different use of the word poll and post. Is that confusing enough for everybody? When we get to the words soul and spirit, we're dealing with words with, first of all, multiple definitions. Both of them have multiple definitions. And secondly, they can be used interchangeably, but not all the time. That's what I just tried to illustrate. So let's look at that in some more detail, and uh, I'm just going to go through this really quickly. You don't need to bother to turn to all of the passages. Uh, You might want to write them down and look at them later uh, to verify the information that I'm about to give you. I'm just going to give you a lot of information about the words soul and spirit uh, that I think will sort of get us in the area of what these words mean and how they're used in Scripture. So spirit and soul have various meanings in Scripture. The word soul, if you go to your Old Testament, is uh, going to come from the Hebrew word nephesh, usually. Um, And that can refer, for instance, to animal life. In Genesis 1, verses 20 and 21, 
The Bible speaks of an abundance of living creatures. The word uh, creatures there is technically nefesh. In other words, living souls. But it's talking about animals in that case. It can refer to a person. Numbers 31 and verse 19 uh, talks about kill, uh, uh, killing any person, that that was a, a sin to do. But a person, and it's translated, the same word is translated person in uh, Numbers 31 and verse 19. It can refer to the human body. Uh, strangely enough, a dead body, Numbers 6 and verse 6, is the same Hebrew word, nefesh. So in the Old Testament, you have nefesh used quite a bit. Sometimes it's translated soul. Sometimes it's translated other things. And you see the breadth of meaning of that word, multiple definitions. In the New Testament, the word that's translated soul typically is the word suke or psyche. We get our word psychology from that. Psychology technically a study of the soul, okay? <laughs> a study of the soul. So uh, the Greek word is suke, and it can refer to just people or individuals, 1 Peter 3 and verse 20, eight souls, your verse translations will say usually, eight souls were saved by water. Talking about the salvation of Noah and his family. That's the word suke there. It can refer to just life itself. In uh, John 13 and verse 38, uh, Jesus asked Peter, will you lay down your life for my sake? And the word there is soul. Will you lay down your soul for my sake? My, your life, your suke. It's that which uh, exists after a body is killed. In, in Matthew 10 and verse 28, Jesus says, Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So the soul uh, can't be killed by human beings. That's interesting, is it? So we have a soul and a body, and our body can be killed, but the soul cannot be killed by human beings. However, Jesus says onward in that text, Fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. So the soul can be killed, a second death, if you will. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So here are some of the different meanings of the word soul, the original words that are used and how they're used and translated in uh, typical Bible translations. The same is true of spirit. So you have Old Testament words for spirit. You have New Testament word. And uh, there's a breadth of meaning here. Uh, throughout Old Testament, New Testament. The, the, the Hebrew word is typically ruach um, that's translated spirit in the Old Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, the word is um, pneuma. And both of those words in the original languages can refer to just wind. Uh, they're often translated wind. Uh, so when you look at a passage like... Um, in, in the Gospel of, of John, that, that talks about the Spirit in John chapter 3 and verse 8. And, and let, me, let me just share this with you. John 3 and verse 8, Jesus says, in the familiar dialogue with Nicodemus, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Everybody got their thinking cap on? You ready for this mind-blowing experience? The word wind, which blows where it wishes, and the word spirit, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, are the same word in the original language. They're both pneuma. So if you read this in Greek, it is the pneuma 
that blows where it wants to, but it's also uh, the Holy Spirit of God that is called the pneuma. So you have the same word being used in a vastly different ways in the same context. One, just referring to the wind, you can tell that by the context, it's blowing. The other is the spirit that we're born by. Same word in the original, but with different meanings. We often uh, do that in English as well. I can talk about going to the post office and hitting a pole, right? Or hitting a post. <laughs> and so I could use that two different meanings in the same sentence. So that's, that's what you have uh, in that particular text. So in the Old Testament, this, the Hebrew word is used to refer to storms and wind. For instance, in Genesis 8 and verse 1, God made the wind pass over the earth. Genesis 6, 17 uh, the same word is used to the life of breathing creatures. The breath of life is spoken of in Genesis 6 and verse 17. And then in John, Job rather, 9 and verse 18, uh, you have this familiar phrase, uh, he will not allow me to catch my breath. There are a lot of English phrases that we actually get out of the Bible. This is one of them that was invented in the Bible. You talk about catching your breath. This is uh, where that's from, Job 9 and verse 18. But it, it's the word for spirit. Can't catch my, my, my spirit, in essence, is what he's saying. And then in 1 Kings 22, verses 21 and 22, you have a pretty interesting passage. It says that a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. A spirit came forward and stood before the Lord. So here's a non-fleshly, because a spirit does not have flesh and bones, Here's a non-fleshly, intelligent being that is standing before the Lord, as described in that passage. And then sometimes the word spirit can just mean a disposition or attitude. Ecclesiastes 7, verses 8 and 9, talks about one who is patient in spirit, and he's better than the one who's proud in spirit. So spirit there referring to, again, your disposition or your attitude, proud, patient, Humble, those would all be dispositions of spirit. Numbers 40, 14 and verse 24, my servant Caleb has a different spirit, uh, the Lord says. Ezekiel 18 and verse 31, God wants to get for us a new heart and a new spirit, a new attitude or disposition. When you come to the New Testament, the word spirit, I already mentioned uh, it is the word pneuma. We get our word pneumonia, pneumatic, uh, words that have to do with wind, air, or breath uh, in English come from uh, the root of this word. Uh, I already noticed in John 3 and verse 8, it can refer to wind or spirit there. It can refer to breath as it does in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 18, who will consume some with the breath of his mouth. 2 Thessalonians 3, 2 and verse 8 rather says. And then it can the word can refer to the Holy Spirit. It does in John 3. Also in John 1 and verse 32, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. When John was baptizing Jesus, he saw that. And then in the New Testament, it often, this word is used to refer to uh, unclean spirits or demons. Uh, this happens in Matthew 8 and verse 16. Uh, he cast out the spirits with a word. Luke 4 and verse 33, for instance, spirit of an unclean demon. But also the same word, almost ironically, is used to refer to angels. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13, 
God makes them ministering spirits and sends them forth. And then, also it can refer to character or moral qualities. Um, 1 Peter 3 and verse 4, a gentle and quiet spirit or a gentle and meek spirit, some translations say, meek and quiet spirit. It can also refer to the purpose or aim that a person has. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 18, Paul and Titus are said to walk in the same spirit. Did we not walk in the same spirit? Referring to their purpose or aim. Philippians 1 and verse 27, we as Christians are to stand fast in one spirit. Well, that's a, that's a real quick uh, primer <laughs> and uh, uh, exposure to how these words are used in Scripture. Soul, spirit, and I hope, I hope you see, the main thing I wanted you to see is that there's a breadth of meaning to them. So when we get back to our text in 1 Thessalonians, uh, when, when the Lord says to us that our body, soul, and spirit would be preserved for His everlasting kingdom, in what sense is He using the word soul? In what sense is He using the word spirit? Let's focus on those words and how they can be used to mean the same and also the distinctions between them so that we can see what it is that we're composed of, what it is that we're made of. Spirit and soul can refer to the same aspect of a human, and they often do. So don't feel uh, bad about yourself. If you, when I started this, you, you might have said to yourself, well, I'm not sure I know the difference between soul and spirit. I tell you, I'm not sure I do either. And it's a difficult distinction to make. But we can say that a lot of times the words can refer to the same aspect of a human being. Let's look at that. In Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 9, you have the words being used in uh, two phrases that are synonymous. There's Hebrew parallelism here. And uh, Isaiah says, With my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I will seek you early. So my soul desires you and my, for God and my spirit seeks you, God. What's the difference between soul and spirit in that passage? None. Okay, they're being used in exactly the same position. They're seeking. The soul is seeking God. The spirit is seeking God. The soul is searching for God. The spirit is searching for God. The soul and spirit, then, are capable of desiring God. Soul and spirit are both referred to as the part of us that's inward, that really knows what's going on inside of us, our inner man, if you will. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, the question is asked, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? So your spirit knows what's inside you. Somebody who's looking at you may not know at all what's going on inside, but your spirit knows what's going on inside you. God also, by the way, knows what our spirit knows. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inner depths of his heart. So God sees what our spirit is seeing within us. He knows all of that. God knows even more than that. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. 1 John 3 and verse 20. But the soul also is said to be a part of us that truly knows who we are. Psalm 139 and verse 14. 
The psalmist says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. The soul knows about the marvelous works of God done within the human being and done for the human being. The soul knows that. Both soul and spirit are said to experience emotion. Psalm 35 and verse 12 speaks of the sorrow of my soul. So the soul can experience sorrow, but so can the spirit. For Hannah, when she was uh, sad about being unable to bear a child, describes herself as a woman of sorrowful spirit. Sorrowful spirit. And soul and spirit can both experience rejoicing and joy. Psalm 35 and verse 9, My soul shall be joyful for the Lord. But also Luke 147, Mary said, My spirit rejoiced in God my Savior. So the spirit rejoices and the soul is joyful. Those seem, again, to be things that both soul and spirit do. Both soul and spirit can struggle against temptation. Mark 14 and verse 38 Watch and pray lest you enter into into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the the body's having a problem, but the spirit is uh, willing to struggle against temptation. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, though Peter says, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Temptation wars against the soul. So both the spirit and the soul resist temptation, need to resist temptation. Both soul and spirit leave the body at death. Now this is something that both soul and spirit do, but I'm not sure that it means they're the same thing. We'll talk about that maybe in just a moment. Uh, But both soul and spirit leave the body at death. So you have in Genesis uh, chapter 35 and verse 18, you have Rachel dying and the account of that says this, So it was, as her soul was, had, was departing, for she died, that she called her child's name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So her soul was departing, and that was at her death. But in James chapter 2 and verse 26, a familiar passage to us, James says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7, The wise man says that the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. The body goes in the ground, but the spirit leaves the body. Both the soul and spirit of man can be saved. And that's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is getting to, that your spirit and your soul are both saved by Jesus Christ as well as your body, body, soul, and spirit all saved by Jesus. And and so separately, in other accounts, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 5, um, Paul tells the church at Corinth to withdraw from a given individual, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. But Peter, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 9, talks about receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So your soul is saved. 
In James 1.21, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So over and over again, we have spirit being saved, soul being saved. Doesn't mean they're the same thing, but they experience the same thing. Salvation. There are some real differences between soul and spirit of humans. It's not always easy to tell what the differences are. I've already said that, but I think it's indicated clearly in Scripture that it might be difficult, but doable by the Word of God. For Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says this about the Word of God. That the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. Now, when, when the Hebrew writer is trying to think of something that you'd have to be really sharp, you know, to get between what the soul and the spirit are and to make a distinction between soul and spirit, he says the Word of God can even do that. So that, that is a powerful and precise weapon is what he's saying. Even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So the Word of God can go all through us is what he's saying. Even making distinctions between soul and spirit. So what would the distinctions be? Just to summarize what we're going to look at in a couple of verses, I think the spirit of man, when we're trying to think of soul and spirit as something different, uh, what the distinction could be, the spirit of man can be thought of as the life force, if you will, the breath of man. And the soul can be thought of as the being or the person, if you will, who you are. So spirit, your life force, being who you are, if there's a distinction to be made, and in some contexts there is such a distinction to be made. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we see that the life came into man, the, the life force came into man as spirit. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath, that's spirit, the breath of life. So there's spirit of life going in man. And then, and man became a living soul. So there's your distinction. Here's the life force going into man, that which gives him breath, so to speak, and he's living. That's spirit. And so as a consequence of that, he became a soul, a person, if you will. And so there's a subtle distinction between soul and spirit. The spirit is the life force, the breath that animates us. Psalm 146 and verse 4, talking about death, his spirit departs and he returns to the earth. Talking about a person dying. The ESV there says, the English Standard Version, his, when his spirit departs, he returns to the earth and that very day his plans perish. But then again, the spirit can be used in about the same way as the soul. God forms the spirit within a man. And so there's the spirit word spirit being used maybe in a different way. Zechariah 12 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit with, of man within him. So spirit there being used interchangeably with soul. Again, as we saw earlier. But the soul appears to uh, focus on the person of man. Mark 14 and verse 34. Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Jesus is talking about 
what he was experiencing as a person. The, the, the rich fool in Luke 12 and verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He's talking to himself. Like you talk about, you know, somebody's talking to himself as a person. He's talking to himself. Both words, when they appear in a given passage, uh, if there's a distinction to be made, it's usually this one. The distinction between the life force and the, 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 what we call a person's uh, uniqueness as a being. The being versus the life force. And that most definitely is true, I think, in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. So let's go back there. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Where it's obvious that Paul in talking to the Thessalonians, intends for us to see and understand that he's talking about the complete man, the complete human being. Uh, and mentioning soul and spirit in the same context in this way, he's talking about the, the spiritual makeup. That includes the whole spiritual being, the unseen part, the inward man. The body refers to the outward man. So what we, from what we've seen about how these words are used, uh, that they refer to the inward man is, is consistent, certainly, with what we see in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. To understand the passage, then, when we think of spirit to include the breath of life and the life force, our life force is going to be eternal when we're raised by the power of Christ. The life force will not end. That's the spirit of man. And the soul of man, our person, will also exist eternally and be preserved eternally. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 conceives of man then having these three parts. Which will be preserved by Christ when he comes again. If, if they have been sanctified by God. And if. They have been used to glorify God. So these three parts of you, all of you, this is all of you, your body, your soul, and your spirit, that's, that's every bit of you. When you are saved, every bit of you is sanctified. It is purified, it is set apart for God and for His glory. And so with every bit of you, here's the point of all of this, with every bit of you, glorify God. body, with your soul, and with your spirit. Whatever body you have been given, male, female, big, little, you know, tall, short, whatever color of skin you have, whatever color of hair you have, whatever body you have been given, athletic, non-athletic, <laughs> ugly, you know, as some of us are. Whatever body you've been given, use it to glorify God. Whatever spirit you get, you've been given, your spirit is your life force. And some seem to have a stronger life force within them than others. But however much you have, you use it to glorify God. And your soul is your person. We name our persons, you know. When you name yourself, you're not naming your body, you're naming your person. But use all of who you are as an individual person. To glorify God. All of you. And when we hold back any part of our body, soul, and spirit from the glorification of God, 
we are doing him a disservice and certainly risking our eternal well-being, body, soul, and spirit. So think about it this way. Let us glorify God with our entire selves. The body is presented to Jesus Christ as living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Holy and acceptable. That's your reasonable service, to give your body to God as a reasonable service. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. They belong to God. He has purchased them for all eternity by the blood of His Son. All of your body, all of your spirit, and all of your soul. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Lives and exists now and in eternity for the glory of God. The body, as I was mentioning earlier, is a part of your eternal makeup. No, not this one, but what comes from it will be. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 42, there is a resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. But it is the body, and it is eternal. So no, heaven is not just you know, floating around like a cloud, unsubstantial, with nothing that can be called you. You will have a spiritual body, and in it will be a spirit and a soul. When our body, soul, and spirit are dedicated to loving and glorifying God, we are fulfilling our highest purpose and answering our greatest calling. And that's what life's all about. That's what you're all about. It's what I'm all about. Body, soul, and spirit, all for God. All for God. There's a song that's been popular on the radio the last couple of years. I've really liked a few lines of it. It's a love song, like a lot of songs are. But there's a part of it, I think about Sandy, and then I think also about God. All of me loves all of you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Because all of me loves all of you. With all of you, love God. If you're doing that in your life, what a wonderful promise 1 Thessalonians 5 is for you. Your body, soul, and spirit, God will do it. He is faithful. Will be preserved for his everlasting kingdom. If you're not ready for that, give your life, give all of you to God tonight. Please come while we stand and while we sing.